Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. This is episode 304 coming at you today. Hey, I hope everything is going well on your end. Today's guest is Bruce Peterson. Known in the real estate world as the apartment guy, Bruce is a serial apartment syndicator who started his investing career with a 48 unit building and has now syndicated over 1,100 units. I had a great conversation today with Bruce. He is somewhat of a realist in recognizing that apartment syndication is not easy. It's a challenge and he shares some of those challenges and what he's done to overcome those with stories like temporarily mislocating $5.2 million in a wire transfer gone wrong and all the other things that come with apartment syndication. We talk about what it takes to be able to have the resolve to proceed through some of these challenging times as a real estate investor. So lots of great stories in it. I had a great time talking with him. I hope you'll enjoy it too. So let's go ahead and jump into this week's interview with Bruce Peterson. All right, today, welcome on the show, Bruce Peterson. Bruce, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Man, I really enjoy being on these podcasts and I'm very, very grateful that you've allowed me to come on. Absolutely. Well, it's always good to have a fellow Texan on just right down the road based in Austin, Texas. So glad to have you on. How about we start with just tell the audience members a little bit about who you are, your background and kind of your world in real estate investing, if you will. So, you know, I grew up, I guess you'd say like a lot of people, first of all, a lot of people think to do what I do and a lot of your other guests have done. You have to be rich. You have to have come from means. You have to have gotten an Ivy League degree. I don't have any of that. I grew up poor. I'm a college dropout. Barely got out of high school. Worked in retail for 18 years. Thought I liked that until I realized, shit, I hate everything about this. I'm a people person. So I thought, oh, retail. I'm a people person. I like retail. Oh my God. It drove me into the ground. And I didn't have a degree. So I didn't really have a skill set really that I could really go out there and get a white collar job. But, you know, after working in retail for 18 years, I was kind of a Dave Ramsey guy. So I socked away all my money. Okay. Actually a stockbroker for a little bit in the early 90s without a degree, but I was a stockbroker. So I understood how to invest. I lived way below my means, saved most of my money. So, you know, at the age of 43, 18 years into retail, I just walked away. I'm done. I'm just so burnt out working 80 to 110 hour weeks in retail, drove me into the ground. No family, no anything. So I quit, thought, I'm retired, I'm done. And then I called a buddy one day, said, hey man, it's a beautiful day, let's go play golf. He goes, dude, I gotta go to work. I'm like, (laughs) oh shit, what did I do? Uh, So then I just had to figure something else out. So I started looking around, poking around uh, with uh, real estate and found some people to teach me how to do it. And I've been off and running ever since. 
How did you enter the world of real estate investing? Was it real traditional sense, buy a single family home, that kind of thing? Was it straight into syndications? Tell us about that. No. Well, that was my thought, right? That's what everybody tells you. That's the only thing you really re- well, the, the only thing I was really reading back then. I was going to buy two to four houses, pay them off, which I've learned don't do that. Now, you, we, okay, there's another argument to be made right now, especially with COVID shutting everything down. So, sure. you know, but anyways, you know, get two to four houses, pay them off and live off that cash flow for the rest of my life. You know, again, I live very modestly. So that worked in my world. But then I found somebody that said, no, that's not a good idea. Like, what are you talking about? You need to be in apartments. Like, okay. So I listened and I was taught the value of apartment investing and then the value of leading your own deal. So syndicating your own deal. So everything I've ever done in investment real estate has been a syndicated purchase. I syndicated my very first deal, which was a 48 unit deal. And every deal I've done since has been syndicated. So you went straight into the world of syndication. Yeah. Yeah. I never owned a single family rent home in my life. Let's talk about that 48 unit deal. How does one go from no experience in real estate, no prior properties to a 48 unit syndicated deal? Well, so you have to have, you know, it's the cheese ball stuff, right? But it's true. It's a team, right? You do this as a team. So part of my team was an experienced mortgage broker and they had access to all kinds of people. Their Rolodex of lenders nationally was huge. So they were able to find somebody that would be willing to lend to me on a property with no experience no job. I had two people come in and sign for me on the loan. And these are two guys that I met during my real estate journey. We just got to know each other over about a nine to 12 month period. They got to know I can trust me. So they were comfortable putting their name on my loan. So together we went out and got that loan. I ran the project, raised, what was it? $460,000 for that first deal. And uh, I came into it with 115,000 of my own. It was important for me to have my first deal I had to be the biggest investor in my mind because I wanted to show people I have more on the line than you do. So I did that. I put 20% of the deal up. We went out and bought a 48 unit in North Austin, held it for a little over two and a half years, well, almost two and a half years, sold it in 2015 and made a 300% return and went, oh, wow, this crap really works. Now, of course, we haven't replicated that since because the market has slowly kept going up. But yeah, so the 48 unit deal that was a great way for me to learn and a market on the upswing. So some of the mistakes I was making, even though I was listening to my mentor, you know, it was easier to make the mistake in a raging market, really. So I think I got in at a very, very good time. Well, you would think that a person like yourself would paint this rosy picture about syndication. You've had a lot of success yourself, but you actually caution people about the world of syndication. So tell us your take on that. All right. So you have me on, I think, mainly because of the book that's coming out. So I've got a book coming out called Syndication is a Bitch and Other Truths. <laughs> right. So syndication is legit. It's a big deal. It can make you a lot of money, more money than you could ever imagine. But I was tired of seeing the traveling real estate shows, the weekend things that, you know, these free seminars with a huge upsell, a lot of pressure, a lot of emotion and rah rah in the crowd. And, you're seeing all their students go across the stage and they're all successful. They've all made $14 trillion billion in three days and <laughs> all that stuff. you yeah. know. And what I was noticing is that most people that decide, I'm going to do that too. I'm as smart as they are. I know how to read a spreadsheet. I know how to build a spreadsheet. And so they get out there and do it. And I was seeing that probably somewhere between 60 and 80% of the people that got into a syndication would come to me later and go, oh my God, this sucks. 
I want no part of this. I just want to sell this damn thing. Never do this again. I'll give somebody else my money, but I don't want to do it. So that was when I had a light bulb go off, went, okay, I think these groups are really good groups and they're run by really good people, but they have a different intent, right? They're not necessarily completely aligned with you. They're trying to sell a product. They're trying to sell education. It's good education usually, and they're good people. But if they tell you all the horror stories, all the warts and really how hard this is, how are you going to sell somebody a 10 to 30 to $40,000 program when you're scaring the hell out of them from the stage? So I wanted to be the guy that pulled back the curtain for free in this book and kind of told you what really, really goes on in a syndication. And that's all based on your experience over the years of actually really experiencing the ups and downs and the true hardships that come with syndicating a deal and managing those deals, right? Absolutely. Because, you know, we've had issues. Everybody will have issues. I don't care how good you are, how brilliant you are. You're going to have things go wrong. You're going to have deals that maybe don't work out the way you thought they were going to work out. You're going to have some deals that destroy what you thought they do. You know, they're going to be 10x better than you thought. You'll have a lot of deals that are going to be what you thought. Then you're going to have some deals that aren't exactly what you thought they were going to be. You know, despite your best efforts, things aren't really going all that well. But if you do it smart, if you do it with your eyes wide open and communicate, you're not going to lose any of these properties and you're probably not going to lose any money. It just might not work out as well as you thought. And there's lots of trials and tribulations along the way. I like this story you had outlined early on in your book about the time where you had gone to close on a property down in San Antonio, I believe it was, wired $5.2 million to the closing, go down, you know, you're taking over the asset and the wire doesn't go through. So tell us about that story and, and, and the lessons to take away from there. Yeah, that's everybody's favorite story because that's the real gut punch. It's like right? the gut-wrenching kind of feeling. I can only imagine. I have never lost $5.2 million. So the day we're going to close, I go to the, like every other time before, you go to the bank in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm the first guy in the door. We execute the wire. I drive from Austin where I live to San Antonio about an hour and a half away. By the time I get there, that's you know an hour, two hours uh, lead time that the wire should have gone through. Well, yeah, it didn't go through. And the seller's like, where's the wire? I was like, well, I sent it. And I sent all the information showing that I did send it. Called the bank. No, it's gone. Like, okay. So hours pass, still nothing. More hours pass, still nothing. And my attorney finally calls me, says, Bruce, get out of there. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because we'd already shown up on property to start training the staff on our new software because it was always a formality. And the previous management company had ripped all the computers out of the office, all the phones out of the office. So they had no way to do anything. So we come in, we're setting up shop. She goes, get out. I'm like, well, you don't own that. I'm like, oh crap, that's right. Because they still don't have my wire. So I'm like, oh no. So nobody knows where it is though. Nobody can figure out where the hell the money went. So I'm like, oh my God. So I have to go back to the office later that evening and email everybody, all the investors say, hey, you know, today was a closing day and uh, it didn't quite work out that way. We don't own it. You know, we've had some problems, but I've got a little bit more disconcerting news, you know, troubling news. I, I don't know where your money is. And that's hard, you know, to tell investors that I had put $100,000 into it myself, but I had raised 5.1 million of those dollars from other people. And I have to tell them, I don't know where the hell your money is, guys. I'm working on it. I'll figure it out, I think. And hopefully uh, that is not somebody stole it. Well, what ended up happening uh, is a division of the government called OFAC is they're charged with looking at wires that go around the country, around the world, and try to make sure that the sender and the receiver are not known bad actors uh, on the national stage. 
basically drug cartels and terrorist organizations. And the name of the property we were buying was the name of a known drug cartel in Colombia. Well, they grabbed my money. And the funny thing is about the government, they don't have a really friendly customer service department to say, (laughs) this is where it is and this is why it is. And we'll give it back to you when? No, (laughs) it just disappeared. Nobody knew where it was until finally the president of the title company finally went, you know, I think like 10 years ago, I remember something like this happening. And because he had that experience, he reached out and did some digging and he finally figured it out. But we ended up closing instead of that Friday, the following Monday and everything worked out. But again, I don't know that a lot of people have the intestinal fortitude to not maybe put a bullet in your brain or something because that's tough. Yeah. You misplace $5 million over a weekend. That doesn't sound like a good time. You lead out of this story by saying, hey, if you can survive things like this, then maybe apartment syndication is for you. If not, beware, right? So that's kind of one of your lessons to be had out of there. Right. And I actually know another guy that his was even worse. Now his wasn't 5 million bucks, but his was somewhere, I'm trying to remember, but I think this is right, somewhere between four and $700,000 that people were wiring into the accounts. Mm-hmm. Well, that wire got intercepted or the email transaction back and forth got intercepted and some bad actors popped in their account information. So all these people wiring money in to the syndicator's account for this business transaction got rerouted to a bad bank account and it all disappeared. All of that money was gone and he made them whole. And so that syndicator lost $400,000 to $700,000. Wow. I got lucky. Well, Bruce, you talked about the people who you maybe, you know, these weekend boot camp people have a rosy picture painted for them of, you know, success in the world of real estate investing. They go out and they try to do this. At one point in time, you were kind of in that similar person's shoes. You just kind of wrapped up an 18-year career in retail and decided, hey, I'm going to go try this real estate thing out for myself. So what separated you from the people who maybe didn't have as much success? Well, again, it's just the intestinal fortitude. It's the ability to keep going, knowing that it's stressful. And I've had stressful nights, sleepless nights. I've cried, honestly, because you feel like you're letting people down sometimes because you're going to face things that you've never faced before and that you know the best mentor in the world has never faced that thing before either. So you have nothing to lean on. You just got to keep pushing through it. And a lot of people just don't want to deal with that stress. And that's really what it boils down to. Most of the people that do this are smarter, smarter than me. Again, I'm a college dropout, but it's the ability to keep getting back up and keep pushing. I'm going to show you the screensaver on my, not the screensaver, but my phone. I don't know if you can see that. Never give up. Never give up. It's that thing. It's always in my face. Never give up. It might suck right now, but I'll get through this. I've gotten through everything. So what lessons would you have for would-be real estate investors, whether they're syndicating or not, and they're thinking about getting started in the world of real estate investing? What lessons would you have for those people or tales of caution? The biggest piece of advice, and I cover this in the book a bit, is be self-actualized, be self-realized, understand who you are. Don't lie to yourself. Don't say, oh, I can do that. Well, okay. Can you fire somebody? Probably. Well, can you fire an investor? Like, What do you mean fire an investor? If you got somebody that wants to invest in your deal and you decide, this guy's not a good fit because I don't think he really trusts me, or he's an angry person, or you know, for whatever reason, you're going to have to make a tough, professional, polite, delicate call and say, look, I don't think this is a good deal for you. I don't think it's a good fit. I wish you the best. There are other deals out there for you. But this one, I don't think it's going to work out. So, you know, good luck in life. But you have to make those decisions 
And most people, when it comes down to it, they aren't comfortable doing that. But a lot of people see dollar signs. They go, oh, I'll figure that out. I, I can do that. Okay. You're lying to yourself uh, very often. Now, a lot of people can do what I do. I'm not saying I'm the only guy in the world that can do what I do. There are a lot of people doing it on a lot larger scale and a lot better at it than I am. But there, most people, I don't think should because they don't really want to deal with that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So that first deal, Bruce, going back to it, you know, you obviously were able to close, execute your business plan. You've obviously gone on to do more and more deals, but what was it that made you not buckle under that initial pressure to say, whoa, this is definitely not what I thought I was getting into. This will be my one and only deal. I'm done. Well, oh, now, first of all, my one and only deal, I'm done. Remember that first deal was really good for me. I did I got a 300% return to sure. my limited partners. But then that next one where they, you know, that other one where they took $5 million of my money for a while is like, look, what's the option? Am I just going to give up? No. Am I going to go back to work for somebody else? Hell no. So it was the only route for me. It was to keep going, you know, because I know anything I do, you work for somebody else. You're going to have a shitty boss at some point. You're going to have coworkers that you can't stand. You're going to have a job that you just hate. It's no different. Everything you do, there's going to be some problem with it. There's going to be some headache, some stress. I'd rather be in control of the stress, right? And I'm not totally in control of anything ever. Nobody ever is. But I have more control by owning my own business than I do when I work for somebody else. So like I said, I could give up, crawl into a hole and try to act like nothing's going on around. Or I could pick myself up and keep moving and work my way through it. And that's what we've always done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there are a lot of people out there, Bruce, who are interested in multifamily investing and subsequently syndication, right? So talk about how you were able to syndicate that very first deal, the logistics of raising money, finding the deal, building the team, all those things that go into it. Just kind of walk us through the nuts and bolts of that, if you will. Well, the first thing that people always ask me all the time, should I find the deal first and then raise the money or raise the money then find the deal? If you don't find the money first, you're screwed, right? Because there are lots of rules that govern the way we're allowed to raise money. Yes. If you don't have the money soft committed, now it's soft committed. So that's why you're going to over raise, right? But if you don't have that money sitting on the sidelines, ready to go, just waiting for a deal to show up by the time you find the deal. Okay. Now I got to raise $500,000 and I don't have any money raised. So now I got to go raise money. Well, you're not allowed to do it that way. And the clock's ticking by the way. Exactly. Exactly. So most people will file in a way with the SEC that they're not allowed to offer it to people that they don't have a pre-existing relationship with. So if you don't have enough people and that you know personally that will be willing to invest this $500,000, well, now you got to go out and raise it. Well, you can't raise it because you didn't know them before you had a deal, right? So yeah. get all screwed up there. You have to raise the money first, then go find the deal. You know, And the way I found the deal, I just started working on relationships with brokers, both real estate brokers and then also mortgage brokers to make sure I could get it funded. I wanted to make sure that if I did this, tied up this property, I have somebody that says they'd be able to get a loan for me. So I did that. But where my investors came from is I started my own meetup back in 2011. And it started with me and one other guy here in Austin. We would meet at Starbucks every other Wednesday and just talk about what we've learned the previous two weeks in real estate by going to RIAs and different real estate conferences and meetups and things. And then that grew to the mailing list, got to like four or 500 people. But my first deal, it was about six to nine months after I started the meetup. And I had enough people there that got to know, like, and trust me enough to give me their money on something I had never done before. But they had faith in me. 
And that's how I got all my money the first time. And again, two of those people actually decided and agreed to sign on the loan with me. It's such a relationship-based business that you're almost not even really truly in real estate first and foremost. You know, you're building relationships and building that trust with investors way before you ever get that first deal, right? Well, yeah, everything's relationship-based. Everybody always says that about real estate. Everything in your life is relationship-based. Your job, your kids, if you play like softball and a beer, everything is based on relationships. <laughs> everything. If you're a miserable human being and hates everybody and everybody hates you. First of all, I don't know how you're going to get through life. But secondly, you're sure as hell not going to be able to do this. So again, be self-aware, right? It goes back to that again. Know who you are. I had a guy come up to me at an event one day. He heard me talk and he said, hey, this is great. I'm going to syndicate. I love this. I want to do what you're doing. I'm like, great. Good for you. He goes, but you know, I'm an asshole. I'm like, all right. Well, well congratulations for being self-aware. <laughs> there you go. You're not self-aware enough of your being self-aware that you realize that this is going to be a miserable experience for you. You just said you're an asshole. People are not going to want to give you their money. And if they do, you have a hiccup, they're going to revolt against your ass real fast. So, dude, don't do this, please. And good luck finding anybody to let you give you, give them your money because you've said you're a jerk. So, yeah, it's just weird that, and again, that goes back to the book. This is why I want to tell people that this stuff is going to be there. These are the things you need to decide. You need to answer for yourself and be truthful for yourself. Bruce, would you consider yourself an optimist or pessimist? Oh, an optimist completely. Now, I, I have my days where I feel like I got this black cloud following my ass around all day. But overall, yeah, I drive everybody nuts around me. I'm famous for kind of that optimistic brain, right? I'll be in a room and maybe there's a conversation going on behind me and I'll hear my name. Bruce, you want to do it? Yeah. Well, okay. What are we doing? <laughs> yes. I don't take ridiculous risks, but I figured out as I go. And, you know, I walked into the bank one day. Sorry, I'm full of stories, but I walked into the bank one day. My personal banker was not there. I had to do a wire. And they put me with another personal banker. I walk in, this lady and I had never met. She goes, Hi, Mr. Peterson. My name is Frieda or whatever her name was. My like, hi. She goes, How are you today? I said, I'm fantastic. She's like, I've never heard that. I'm like, How have you never heard somebody say they're fantastic? She goes, Well, you know, I just, I said, Okay, look. If I'm having a really, really bad day, you don't give a shit. You don't care that I'm <laughs> It's not really a serious question, so is it? <laughs> why am I going to take my bad day and make it your bad day and ruin your day, right? <laughs> so that's all you're ever going to get from me is fantastic. Because again, you don't give a shit. And I'm not telling you you should give a shit. And that's the thing with the world. Nobody cares that you're having a bad day or shit sucks for you right now. Get out of that mindset and just... Put on a happy face and keep going, keep pushing, keep moving through it. You'll get through it. Just don't take everybody down around you. Let's talk about that resolve you have. And I think you referred to it as intestinal fortitude. Is that right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, where does that come from? And is it a learned trait you've acquired over the years? Have you always been like that? Talk about that. Well, I have always been like this. Can it be learned? I don't know that it can be learned. Some people are Eeyore, right? From Winnie the Pooh. They just, <laughs> oh, woe is me. And I don't know how to get you out of that mindset. But if you're conscious of, be, read the book, Unlimited Power, I think it's called by Tony Robbins. He talks a lot about this. So yes, a lot of it's innate for me, but I'm always reading good stuff, listening to good stuff to continually reaffirm those beliefs and those thought processes. He talks about, you know, an exercise. If you feel yourself in a bad mindset, in a bad mental state, 
couple of things. First of all, close your eyes, do the whole deep breathing thing, and imagine the most blissful time in your life, the most, you know, when your child was born, when you got married, the most precious moment in your life. Go there mentally, and it will help change your mindset. But then also, and I've put this up on social multiple times over the years, smile. Even a fake smile matters because it sends, remember, I'm a college dropout, so I'm probably going to screw this all up, but it sends like impulses to your brain, right? It's your physiology starts to change when you smile, right? So they're triggered. So I will put a stupid post up on Instagram. Usually once a year, go smile, you know, do something <laughs> stupid like that because even a fake smile helps. You'll always get through it. And uh, I get a lot of response from those. I completely agree. And I really like what you talk about with the mindset there and putting positive things into your mind. It reminds me of this quote I just flipped open to my journal I wrote down a few days ago. And it says, your mind is a garden. Your thoughts are the seeds. You can grow flowers or you can grow weeds. It's a, an anonymous parable quote from a book I was reading called The Wealthy Gardener recently. And that just stuck with me. I think it's really, really powerful if you realize you know, what you put into your mind is what you're going to put out into the world. And I don't think people realize that enough. Yeah. So, and you know, I try to talk to people a lot about that too, putting stuff out in the world. Like, okay, so you want to be a limited partner or you want to be a general partner. You want to be a syndicator, lead your own deals, wherever you're coming at this from, be careful what you put out into the world. You know, if you're going to spew bile all day, your life's going to suck for the rest of your life because the only people that are going to hang around you are the other people in the world that feel exactly the same way. You're all going to be miserable and you're all going to die together, miserable and lonely. Have fun with that. It's not who I am, and I want no part of that. So successful people will never let you around them because you are a suck on my life, and it's not worth it. Family members are not worth it. Friends are not worth it. And then people I just met are definitely not worth it, but get those people away from me. So I tell people, don't be hyper-political, hyper-religious. Have your beliefs. That's totally fine. That's a public forum. If you're trying to get a job, a prospective employer is going to look at your feeds. I promise you that. If you want to invest with me, I'm going to go look at you on Facebook. If you friend request me and there's not even an investment thing, you just friend request me because you run across me somewhere. First thing I want to do is scroll through your Facebook feed, right? And even if we are the same political thought, the same ideology, we're both Democrats or we're both Republicans. If you're a table pounder and hateful, I don't care if we agree. I will not accept. You will not invest with me. Same thing with religion. You know, we might be both atheists. We might both be Christians. We might both be Catholic, whatever. If you're hateful, mean, and negative, no chance that we will ever interact. Yeah. You just have to guard, you know, your mind and your kind of bubble and your little world, right? From all these negative things out there. You know, you have to be able to stay positive and continue to persevere to, you know, be able to put your effort towards, you know, these true trials and tribulations that come from you, like in your business world, right? Exactly. Yep. Well, Bruce, what other lessons have you learned carrying through your career of a successful syndicator that many people maybe wouldn't be aware of starting out? One of the biggest things I would think, because this is something that a lot of people struggle with. Again, it's kind of innate in me for some reason, but let go. You have to let go and delegate. Let's say you don't have a personal staff yourself because you always hire third-party management companies. You have nobody in your asset manager company except yourself or maybe you and your wife. You got to let go. You know, you got to let other people help. Know what you're good at. 
and you know, go all in there. It's a Gary Vaynerchuk thing, right? He talks about it all the time. Know your strengths and double and triple down on your strengths. Punt your weaknesses. Now, what that means is don't ignore your weaknesses, but bring somebody else in that is strong in your weak areas. Be able to you know, oversee them. Make sure that they're not taking advantage of you. Make sure they're doing their job, but at the same time, give it to them to do. I'm a big picture, forward-moving, active person. The details, the back office details, I know how to do them. I know how to do bookkeeping. It sucks the life out of me. So I hire <laughs> people to do that stuff for me. You know, it takes things away from me that I don't want to do. But secondly, it frees me up to go out and do the things that I really like to do and I'm really, really good at. So that's one of the biggest things is be willing to let go, empower the people around you, hire people to help you. And, you know, kind of a little saying that I've used over the years, if you can't let go, you can't grow. You can only do so much. You might be able to run one, two, three different properties, but to get to four, five, six properties, 10 properties, you've got to let go because you can't physically do it all. So if you're a control enthusiast or a control freak, you got to get past that somehow if you really want to scale this. Yeah. And that'll require you, you know, relinquishing some trust and some control to other people, as you said, right? Absolutely. We have people that, you know, have worked with us for a while. So we've entrusted them now to handle a lot of the banking for us. It took a long time for them to establish that trust. But, you know, we realized that, okay, we gave them this role in a bookkeeping sense in the company, but we've also kind of handcuffed them with the ability to pay bills for us, to reconcile things for us, to do things at the bank for us. So we were still bottlenecking, right? They were doing a lot of it, but we were still a choke point that would slow down the whole operation. Because if I'm in a meeting, if I'm at an event, if we're somewhere and disposed of and they can't get a hold of us, well, the whole world stops because they can't get a hold of me. So we're trying to always reassess what more can we give you that will make your job easier and make our company run more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of switching gears a little bit here, talking about the world of syndication, you know, there's a lot of benefits to syndicating. You know, you get to scale, diversify, you know, by, you know, investing in alongside many other people. But what are some of the downfalls you've personally seen in syndication? Well, the biggest downfall is it's hard, right? You're dealing with a lot of people, right? <laughs> They're limited partners. And, you know, you write your documents up, your operating agreement up in a way that says, look, you don't have any say day to day. I don't have time to ask you guys as an investor group, what color toilet should I put in? You don't want to want. I don't have time for that. You won't have really any input at all. But even with that being the case, you know, you're still dealing with human beings. They're going to have questions. They're going to question you sometimes and they're going to say, oh, well, we should be doing it this way. Thank you for your input, but no, we're going to do it this way because of this, right? So that's the big thing is you're dealing with a lot of other people. And if I could buy a 300 unit by myself or a 300 unit as a syndicator, I would always buy it by myself. It's easier. Even if you get along with everybody in your group, everybody's nice, everybody's you know genial with each other. I think that's the right word. Everybody gets along. You still have a lot of people there. And if I'm doing it by myself, I don't have to stop to take a vote to sell, to do a cash out refi. I don't have to communicate monthly because that's my responsibility as a syndicator. I need to get out updates to let you know what's going on with your money, with your investment. If I don't have you know, 20 to 50 to sometimes 100 investors, it's just me and my wife or my family, I don't have to worry about that. So 
syndication is rewarding. It's very lucrative, but it does take a lot and it's easier to do it on your own. But yeah, like you said, you just can't scale the same way and you can't get the better assets usually if you're limited to your own checkbook. Yeah. In your book, you give advice to new syndicators and seasoned syndicators alike to start with a plan. So what advice would you have to someone? How do they kind of build that vision, start to build a plan and then implement it? Well, you got to decide what it is that you want out of real estate investing. Do you have parameters for your return? You know, what are you looking to make from an investment? And then you got to put yourself in the mind of the investor too. What does the investor expect to make from the investment? If your pool of investors says, I won't invest for less than 10% a year. Oh, okay. That's going to be really hard in today's market. But at least now, you know, that's my starting point. I got to go find something that will make them 10% a year, or I could find the best deal in the world. But if I can't raise the money, I can't buy the property. So you got to start there. But then you look the basics for me, you know, everybody has their own criteria in a box that they're looking for. Flat roof, pitched roof, boilers, individual water heaters, whatever those things are, the characteristics of the property. But at the bottom of it all, you got to find something that you feel comfortable with, right? I don't ever want to buy something I don't feel comfortable with visiting during the day. If I'm scared to go on my own property, broad daylight, I don't need to be buying that property. So again, don't get seduced by returns and fluff that the listing broker is going to put into their offering memorandum and fall in love with all that stuff. Think about it logically. Is that in a good area? Is that an area that I feel comfortable in? Even if you're going to third-party manage it, you're going to give it to an outside company to be the management company. You still want to go see it every once in a while to make sure it didn't burn down and they're just sending you bullshit you know, <laughs> financials. You know, So you do need to be able to see it from time to time. right? And again, if it's a property that you're scared to go on during the day, first of all, you're not going to find a management company that wants to run that for you. But then secondly, you know, you're going to be very apprehensive to go tour the property. So that to me is the biggest thing. If you see a picture in an offering memorandum, put eyes on that property because they're putting lipstick on a pig. You're going to get the best picture and the best lighting of that property that they could possibly find because they're marketing that property, right? Yeah. So often I'll see something, oh, that looks pretty good. You drive the neighborhood and go, oh, that looks like crap. You just turn around and walk away. So actually put eyes on it the best you can, even if that's only using Google Street View. Do something to try to figure out if it's what you thought it was. And then you're looking for demographic stuff for me, right? You're looking, is this in a place where people are moving to? Job growth is happening. Wage growth is happening. You know, you don't want a very heavily crime-ridden area. To me, those are your starting points. You know, you've got to work on your investors, like we said. That's kind of a separate thing because without them, none of it works. But then other than that, you're looking for strong demographics and you're looking for a place that you don't feel scared to go to. Sure. If you're giving advice to someone who's trying to start out as a syndicator, is there, in your experience, a certain personality type or a characteristic that you think makes a good syndicator? Maybe that's an extrovert versus introvert, somebody who's very action-oriented, someone who's very detail-oriented, anything like that? The best way I can really put that, I guess, would be, are you a leader? And what I mean by that, are you somebody that people will look to and they will follow you through a burning wall, you know, that kind of thing? Because you are leading people. You're leading your staff. You're leading your investors. You might have on-site staff. You might have corporate staff at the asset management level. Are you a leader? Do people like and trust you? That's the biggest thing for me. Because I've seen extreme B personality engineer brain people that are socially awkward be very successful at this. 
but I've seen people that really aren't very good in that realm, but they're great people person. They're big personalities. They do really well too, because those people that do well, they find somebody that has that engineering brain, that spreadsheet kind of brain to help shore that part of their weakness up. So I think anybody can do this in theory. Again, I think you need to be somebody that people know, like, and trust, be a leader, but again, be somebody that won't hide from things. Because again, things are going to go wrong. If you hide from them, it's going to go bad. It's not ever going to get any better. It will get much worse and the whole world will crumble around you because you're too scared to make a decision, take a stand or be upfront and transparent with what's going on. Yeah, sure. Bruce, to take your money and go out and buy, say, a single family house is one thing, but to pull millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars of friends and family and your coworkers and your professional network of people is a whole nother thing. It takes a lot of, I don't know, what would you say, like just kind of resolve to, you know, carry that responsibility. So how did you overcome that the first time you did it? Well, Again, I've always just had that thing. I've led people my whole life. Now, I was in retail most of my professional life, but I've always been a leader of some sort. I've always had people look to me for answers, for direction, for guidance. So that was just kind of natural for me. But yeah, it's hard to think. And that's another part of that being self-aware. If you're not comfortable, what is it? Heavy is the head that wears the crown or something like that. You know, you're the guy in charge or the lady in charge. You know, if something doesn't go wrong, you can't blame your boss. It's you. And if you're not comfortable with you being the final line, you are the end of it all because you're responsible for everything. If you're a porter on a property, the porter is the guy that, you know, keeps the grounds picked up, maybe cleans your pool every day. If something happens with that guy and he does something wrong, it's your fault. I don't give a shit that you didn't do it. You didn't hire. It's your company. You're responsible. You are in charge. And if you can't handle that, again, don't do this. In the book, I tell people, if you read the book and you decide at the end of the book, I don't want any part of this. This is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Great. I think this has been a very successful book because I'm tired of seeing people get into things that they just didn't realize how bad it was for their personality. And they got in, got back out as quickly as they could, and and they moved on. I'm trying to save people from doing that. I'm not looking for clients. I'm not looking for investors. I'm trying to help people is all I'm really doing because most people don't have that open eye going in. Sure. Well, with your book, you certainly offer a dose of reality that I'm at in a minute, but let's go ahead and wrap up here and then we'll get into your book details. Let's wrap up with the lightning round. Just a series of questions we like to fire at every one of our guests. You up for it? Yep. Well, the first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what'd you do to overcome that? Biggest hurdle was just the knowledge. I didn't know anything about it. I had owned my own house. I was a Dave Ramsey guy. So I wrote a check for my house. Realized that was not a great idea. But again, I had no idea how to invest. So I just started poking around. I did a Google search that real estate mentor Central Texas is what I did. And I found somebody that would help guide me through the process the first time or two to kind of teach me how to do it. And now I can do it. So that was the biggest hurdle for me is just I was starting from scratch, from zero. I knew nothing about it but I sought out the knowledge and I did what the experienced people that I had sought knowledge from, I did what they told me to do. So many people will find that person, but then they won't listen to them. It's like, what the hell? You know, you paid me 20 grand to teach you how to do this, but you won't do what I'm telling you to do because you think this other way is better. (laughs) It happens all the time. So that was my biggest hurdle. 
Well, Bruce, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Personal habit. I was journaling a little bit. I was, you know, doing the miracle morning thing with Hal Elrod, that stuff. I just couldn't stick to it. It's just not who I am. I enjoy it when I do it, but I just don't do it very often. But the biggest thing for me is just, this is hokey probably, and it's very big picture in the ether, but it's just keeping a positive mindset. Shit's going to go wrong. And, you know, I'm fully aware of that, but I have to put it in context and make sure I'm not making something bigger than it is and just keep my head about me, especially like with this coronavirus. I don't know how to do lightly round and quick answers. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. That's good. (laughs) This coronavirus thing, my job as the leader of our companies is to be the voice of calm. Behind the scenes, I'm stressed, right? I'm making sure my staff is safe. I'm making sure our residents are safe, but you know, I can't let that stress come across. And I tell you know the managers, that's their job with their staff and with their residents. We have to be the voice of calm for the residents right now. If we lose our minds, it's all going to go to shit real quick. So we have to be the people that can be a rock in their world because everybody's scared to death right now. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. I love that. Well, Bruce, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day-to-day? My day-to-day resource, I'll take that very literally. And I, you know, one of the things that I really like is I like Bigger Pockets. I like Bigger Pockets a lot. I know the guys that run and have started Bigger Pockets. They're great, great people. Lots of good information. There's some weird information there because it's a forum, right? <laughs> so be careful who you're taking advice from. The people that actually are bigger pockets, phenomenal people, very knowledgeable people, but you've got, you know, wannabes and very inexperienced people giving ex- advice to other ex- inexperienced people. But that's probably my best online thing, you know, other than that, the obvious, right? We have software that we use. We have a CRM that we use. The CRM is probably the biggest thing for us. When you get to scale and you can afford a CRM, I definitely think you should have a CRM. And then we have a portal for our investors that has saved us a lot of time and headache as well. Yeah, good. Bruce, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? So I take a little different approach here. I'm not going to say rich dad, poor dad, because that's what everybody says, right? So for me, it's some different things. It has to do with mindset shifts and paradigm shifts like rich dad, poor dad goes into. But I like Killing Sacred Cows by Garrett Gunderson. I've gotten to know him pretty well too. The guy, super high energy, super happy, upbeat, optimistic guy. He's a smart dude. He pokes holes in the traditional financial myths that you've been told your whole life that we all believe. 401ks, IRAs, self-insure yourself. All this stuff is bad ideas, but he doesn't just say it's a bad idea. He breaks down why it's a bad idea and what you should be doing instead to think like a millionaire or a billionaire and not a 10,000 there, like most of us have been taught. So that's probably my most foundational book. Yeah, good. I've not read it, but I've seen a little bit of his social media videos lately. So I'll have to check it out. We'll link that book in the show notes. That's Killing Sacred Cows by Garrett Gunderson. We'll tell him he owes you a buck per book for that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Bruce, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Bruce? Just take action. You know, I fell into retail for 18 years and I don't really regret it because it's that whole thing, the butterfly effect, right? That I'm here because of what I've done in my past and I'm happy with where I am, but just take action. You know, don't be afraid to take action. Go as big as you can, Bruce, safely, right? So 
you know, don't start with a duplex if you can help it. Now, most people will have to start in single family. There's nothing wrong with that, but it needs to be a springboard to get you into multifamily. So that would be the thing. Go as big as you can, as quickly as you can without being reckless. I love that. Well, Bruce, you mentioned this book you've got coming out soon. Tell us a little bit about it, what it is, what people can expect from it if they go and pick it up. Well, again, it's just my attempt at pulling back the curtain because, again, I'm not trying to sell you anything. You know, I don't expect to make much money from the book. I mean, hopefully I will. I've never written a book. Remember, I'm a college dropout. This, this is my first foray. So hopefully it's readable. I think it is. I actually had some help. I uh, used a ghostwriter for it. But again, there's no ulterior motive. I'm just trying to explain what it is. I give you a step-by-step guide. This is exactly how you do a syndication in real estate. You can syndicate anything. You can syndicate a freaking Snickers bar if you want. It's just (laughs) pulling money together to go out and buy something that you couldn't buy by yourself. So I'm going to tell you every step, every person that you need on your team and when you want to employ those people, what you can expect to pay those people, when you can expect to pay those people. I go through all of it. But at the same time, I'm going to have a few stories mixed in to tell you that these are some of the things that have gone wrong for me and they're going to go wrong for you. So please understand what you're getting yourself into. If you decide to do it after reading the book, great. I'm happy for you. I want you to be as successful as you can humanly possibly be. I want you to make millions of dollars a year, but I also want to make sure that you understand what this is going to entail. And is the book officially released yet? May 5th. May 5th. Right. All right, great. So Amazon May 5th. Amazon. Yeah, Amazon May 5th. And then Audible will probably be available about two to four weeks later. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll link that book in the show notes. Bruce, hey, it's been a lot of fun having you on. As we're wrapping up here, any parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience members? Again, be self-aware and don't be afraid to take a chance, right? Do it smart. Don't take reckless chances. Find a mentor. Find somebody that can kind of walk you through it if you've never done it before but you just got to get out there and take a chance. I think it's Henry Ford that said, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. If you're not happy with where you are, shit, do something about it. Hang around smarter people than you, more successful people than you that are doing what you're trying to do and just kind of start adopting their practices, the way they live life, the way they see the world, the positivity that successful people have. That's the big thing for me. Bruce, You're uh, full of straight talking advice. It's been a lot of fun having you on. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Thank you. Take care. All right. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Bruce Peterson. Hey, I hope you got so much value from that conversation with Bruce today. If you want to learn more about what Bruce is doing or connect with him or purchase his book that's soon to be released in early May of 2020. If you're listening to this podcast at the time of the recording here in mid-April, you can find all of those details to the book and Bruce's contact information in the show notes at www.jacobairs.com. Till next time, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.